Training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with the Pendola Project. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Pendola Project. I'm your host, Matt Pendola. And today we have Chad Sweet back in the studio. If you listened on Monday, we had him on for your Monday motivation, talking about how you live your passion and how he actually turned his passion into a career and makes a living at it. So definitely listen to that podcast if you haven't already. Chad, how you doing today, brother? I'm good. How are you, Matty Boombalatty? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Chad and I have been best friends for, I mean, really it's crazy because I'm starting to realize how old we are here, Chad, but I think we're going on almost 30 years now. 20 24 years? 24 years? Oh, yeah. I wasn't even... Okay. Yeah. I'm 24 years. You're not good at math. I'm not, Don't I'm worry. not good at math. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm definitely uh, feeling like it's been 30 years, I guess. Yeah. It does feel that way sometimes, for sure. But we met actually in AmeriCorps, and we're just going to talk briefly about our experience there and then how we kind of use some of our skills to be able to develop Pendola training and develop a business there because you certainly were part of that evolution to help me build this empire <laughs> today. Why are you laughing? So, uh, but during this time, during COVID, this is why we're kind of specializing, talking a little bit more about building your businesses and and how to make it, but also even if you don't have your own business, how you can apply these principles towards really building any type of success you want in life because I think that it's really the same principles. When we first got going, when we first started Pendola Training, I didn't know anything about a business and certainly had very little concept about what I was really getting into. So we talked about just make a decision on the last podcast. And I, and I think that that is what served me best. Just really kind of idiocracy, not really knowing what I was doing or getting into and uh, but not not really looking back either and just keep moving forward. And so I was just like a big dumb shark, you know, just keep swimming, yeah. just keep swimming. Yeah. You know, like Dory says, if you listen to that. Uh, <laughs> What's that movie there with Dory, you know? Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo. Thank you. So you see, and that's why we're best friends because you finish my thoughts. You know what I'm thinking. I can never remember the names of things or <laughs> I can remember what time an athlete ran like mm -hmm. 22 years ago. Mm -hmm. I can probably even remember some of the sessions they did, but I but don't. But you can't remember where your keys are. No, 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 not at all. In fact, you got me one of those key finders. Uh-huh. Did you lose it? I, I didn't remember to <laughs> to program it. Yeah, no, we have it somewhere, oh and I, I have good intentions of, of setting it up one day. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But, um, yeah, so we met in AmeriCorps, mm -hmm. and I was, at the time, I was a team leader. I started off as a core member the year before, but as a team leader, the second year, I took over a, well, it was a uh, fire and disaster relief program in AmeriCorps, which is part of, it's a... Um, it's a program. We don't like to say like the Peace Corps, but it's national service. National yeah, service. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I had done um, National Civilian Community Corps as really a way to 
figure out how to focus my energy in a, in a positive way. But I really didn't know what I wanted to do next. I was kind of just, I was there because I didn't know where else to be, but I felt like it was, it was at least something of service and something I could focus my energy on in a, in a good way. And then before I knew it, I was a team leader. And then the next year I was asked to lead this fire and disaster team, which was funny because I had zero experience in it. <laughs> and this has been kind of the way my life has gone a lot of times because uh, I just really, I think, got selected for it. Because mainly, yes, I had from the year before I had uh, – been I switched over from being a core member to a team leader and I had some experience there but for this particular team it was more because of my fitness scores I mean I think that's really the only reason why I got the opportunity and so I started off that way I decided I would interview each applicant that wanted to be on this specialized team and then I would also put them through a fitness test and so you were one of those people and we ended up actually combining with another team leader, Allie Goldstein, combining two teams. We worked almost all the projects together. We were both doing the same thing, and that was the fire and disaster. But you were on my team, and then you became a, uh, a leader yourself on my team, a, a squad boss, if you will. And um, I came to trust you very quickly in that program, understanding that you were kind of dotting my I's and crossing my T's a lot of times you kind of got me and you understood me but again I was so lucky to have you because I wasn't by any means that experienced and I think some other people saw that and maybe even chose to criticize that about me and you instead you chose to look at the things that I uh, I could do well and how you could help me help the team so that we could all do better. So I saw that right away in you. This guy is a leader. And I think, to be honest with you, I think at the time you were a better leader than me. I think you should have been the team leader, but I happened to be the one who got the job. But with, without you, I think I might have gotten swallowed up in that you, program. You remember they didn't – I applied to be a leader for the next year, and I didn't get the job. That just tells you uh, how smart uh, people who hire you are. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it all worked out for a reason, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we had a great time in AmeriCorps, and we traveled quite a bit. We did get onto some fires, and we got our red cards, and we got some experience. And ultimately, that is what gave me the experience and the opportunity to work for the Flagstaff Hotshots the following year. So I was, I was lucky to get that kind of experience and opportunity. But um, – I think it's important to serve in some way. And so for me personally, I felt like I had started off with running as my main focus and running for the Army and then uh, really trying to make John Purnell's uh, team for the Olympic trials. But after that, I didn't have a real goal anymore because I didn't, quote, unquote, make it. You know, I didn't qualify, and I was dealing with a lot of injuries. By the time that uh, I kind of resurfaced I just realized that I needed to get into something productive again and the best thing for me was to serve so that is why I joined why did you join AmeriCorps uh, I mean I don't think the the reason is terribly different I think the way that I got to it was different certainly but but I really am a firm believer and for some unknown reason I was back then well not unknown reason I think I know why but but as a I had just come out of college and 
all I wanted to do was put my head down and work and and do something that um, was was a bit selfless, I guess. Um, you know, having gone through four years and gotten my my bachelor's degree, um, which was all lovely and fine and dandy, but I was I just felt like I wanted to kind of stop using my intellectual brain and just do something for other people. Um, I and I got that part of me from my mother. My mother was very service oriented, um, and, and her parents before her, my grandparents. Uh, so, you know, I, it just was sort of part of the lifestyle. You just give back. And, and I hadn't, I didn't know about AmeriCorps, um, until I started researching the Peace Corps and I thought, oh, you know what? I think maybe I'll go into the Peace Corps. And so I was looking at that as a senior in college. And I'm like, oh, well, this sounds really cool, but I mean, it's two years and it's some place that you don't know where you're going yet, uh, overseas. And I don't really know what uh i would do there or, or you know it just seemed all sort of daunting to me and then a friend of mine mentioned americorps which at the time um that would have been your first year which was class two right it was only the second year it was around right the national civilian community corps and and so i was like oh what's this this seems really interesting and so I thought, oh well, I'll I'll uh, uh, apply to that and and see what happens. I don't know really what you do or or you know where you do it or whatever. And and I was just kind of uh, going in kind of blind. And uh, I, I remember getting there and and just sort of being overwhelmed at first because there are a, a lot of people there. You know, we were in the San Diego campus, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, there were, what, four or five campus? I think there were five campuses at the time, right? I believe you're right. Yeah, five. The fifth one ended up being in Perry Point, which is like a— right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And so we were in San Diego, uh, and I w- first it was culture shock. I had never—I'm uh, re- from upstate New York, and I had never seen anything like San Diego uh, in my life to that point. So it was a little bit of culture shock, and then there were a lot of, you know, new people. And uh, I remember, you know, the first, like, couple of days, you're just sort of getting acclimated. And then they, you know, you get the rundown of, of all these special teams that you could apply for and, and be a part of, whether there's a FEMA disaster team or the fire crew, or um, there might have been a, a handful of others. And I thought, oh, you know, my my grandfather was a firefighter he's the chief of the volunteer fire department in my hometown i don't re- i didn't remember that yeah yeah uh and so i thought oh well maybe i'll do that cuz he did it although it was different you know we did we did wildland firefighting and he was structure um uh, which is crazy to me structure fire is crazy um but i thought oh okay I'll, i guess i'll i'll give this a shot uh, you know i think that um Getting on the team was was great, and I was really happy about that. Um, and our team um, was an amazing team filled with amazing individuals. The whole uh, uh, National Civilian Community Corps is. Um, but, you know, obviously, looking at it 24 years down the road, you know, the really um, – really important up up there on the list was finding this other individual you matt pendola uh finding this other individual that shared 
my love of, of work and uh, being able to put your head down and get a job done and then look up and go, okay, did I do a good job? Did I not do a good job? How do I make sure this job gets done better the next time? Um, and I, I've, I had only up to that point met one or two other people in my life um, that I felt like I connected with in that way. This brings me to at least one of the points I wanted to talk about today, a lesson learned and lessons I think that we all need to, to think about, but are you good enough? And my athletes the other day in our education station, uh, we were talking about our fears and am I good enough came up quite a bit. Back then, I was certainly asking myself that question, especially as a team leader for a specialized team that didn't really exist before that. And there was a guy on the team, we won't name names, but that uh, certainly was very verbal and questioning whether or not I was good enough to be the leader. And clearly, he thought he should have been the, the team leader. So instead of being that uh, core member who just helped the team thrive and 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 work towards that goal as as a team it was more like a sabotage at least that's the way that i interpreted it and you really stepped in in ways that i didn't even know about i think sometimes to make sure that i was supported and uh, i i know in particular one time where you 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 really did put in that that conversation with the rest of the team to say, Hey, we got to follow, we got to follow Matt. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I may not be good enough. I, maybe I don't have enough experience for this. Maybe I'm, st I still am learning how to be a better leader, but I am trying and I am trying to the best that I know how to get these tasks done. And at the time we were in Flagstaff and we were on a, probably a thinning project for urban interface. And I just remember, of course, a lot of these things, I don't know what we're doing yet. It's the first time I'm getting my red card too, guys. I'm learning how to run a chainsaw too. It's not like I had this experience ahead of other people, but you know, I, I was selected for a reason and, and I was doubting myself though. And then you kind of taught me that like if I have this guy who's willing to speak up and willing to support me and believe in me, then uh, I shouldn't second guess myself so much. Maybe I should just keep focusing forward on what I'm doing and not worrying about what this one person has to say. But I think I took that lesson for the rest of my life a lot more. And it really did help me because there's been so many times when you just think about that 1% or that small thing that is causing friction and that you turn your thoughts towards that and you're giving power to that way too much and instead of just moving forward you're you're focusing backwards and and that's i think an important lesson but do you remember that uh yeah I, well i don't remember specifically in flagstaff that happening although it may well have but uh, you know i think that my view has always been and it still is now like i'm I'm happy to be the leader on things if I'm the leader on things. And if I'm not, I'm happy to not be the leader. Um, and in that role, when I'm not the leader, it's it, it's really my job to support the direction of whatever it is, whether it's the squad or the team or the company or whatever. 
And, you know, I think that something that you have uh, always been good at as a leader, because you have been a leader for a long time now, um, is you're good at looking at those individuals around you and saying, okay, what are their strengths and how can they complement my leadership style? And how do they complement the company culture that I'm creating? How do they complement the direction that this program is taking? And I think that um, you were good uh, in the way that you chose your squad bosses even way back then, which is part of what makes you a great leader. Um, And I think that there is if there if you're a leader and you're not questioning whether you're doing the right thing if you're not questioning whether you're good enough then you're not a good leader you know i think you really especially in that position you really have to be self-reflective and you really have to be willing to tear yourself down and say okay let me just strip away as much of, of my ego as i can and say okay what is the best for all of the people that I'm leading? What is the best for our mission, for our directive, whatever it is? And how can I make sure that I'm taking us in that direction? And I think you've always been really good at that. Well, thank you. And speaking of good leaders, though, I would remiss to not talk about Allie Goldstein. Mm -hmm. And you remember Allie was the other team leader for uh, the fire and disaster teams and uh, she had control of half of that 30 person team basically and I had control of the other half but we had to come together on projects and talk it out and and Allie was a very well educated extremely uh, smart individual still is I think at first I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder like I kind of grew up in more of that well I had, of course, uh, learning disorders and trying to do well in school was really difficult for me, but also just my place in life. I, you know, grew up in government housing. I I just think I assumed, though, I was kind of almost prejudiced against people who had sort of this elite life, like these opportunities that she already had. And I think I was I already had a mindset about her before I really got to know her. And honestly, the way I combated that in my mind is I'm going to outwork her when when the team is going to see I'm I'm the hardest worker and she doesn't work as hard. You know, she might be smart, but she not didn't work very hard. So I had my own issues to overcome and I didn't treat her probably the way I should have. So, you know, I had my own faults for sure. And then it wasn't too far into it where she just kind of confronted me and said, hey, this is kind of BS. Like, are we going to work together or are you just going to? you know, fight me on everything. And, and so I respected the fact that, you know, that she talked to me about it, not about me, but to me. And we quickly became very close friends and worked really well together. I think we complimented each other really well. And she just said, Hey, you're really good at the, at more of the, the fitness side of things, but also sort of just being out there on the job, like keeping everybody moving, but in a positive way. And Allie was was good at, uh, well, certainly administration, but also just, you know, organizing, administrating, 
talking to, you know, if there's a reporter coming, Allie's the person that wants you want representing AmeriCorps for sure more than me. And uh, but also she worked hard. I mean, that was the thing, too. I had to admit to myself is and then I found out that she was a collegiate rower and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she, she, she could, uh, she could keep up with anybody. No slacker. No. Yeah. <laughs> the, the truth is that just all around, she was, uh, again, I feel like she was probably the better all around leader, but I rose, um, you know, to, uh, to that effect. And I was able to, to, to become a better person. And it was people like her and yourself that helped me, helped me get there in, in that process. And um, then, of course, AmeriCorps, as all things do, it it finally came to an end. Uh, Although I will say, I believe all people should serve in some way. And even though, like, not everybody wants to do, obviously, the military, but this is a an opportunity to to serve others. And I think that's something that a lot of youngsters should really consider. And uh, yeah. Well, I think 100%. I mean, I I would go so far as to say that I think it should be compulsory. I think some sort of national service should be compulsory. Um, It really taught me. I mean, I went in thinking I just wanted to work. I just want to put my head down and work. And I remember the day it happened. I remember we were working on clearing medians in, uh, was it, it, was it, uh, it was in Northern California, I think. We were clearing medians. It was either there or Southern California. I can't remember. But um, so many people stopped their cars and rolled down their windows and said, hey, thanks for doing this. It looks great. I remember probably about the 13th or 14th person did that, and I thought, wait a second. What I'm doing right now, I mean, it may feel like stupid work to me, cleaning trash and clearing brush and all that stuff from medians, but it's improving people's lives. It's improving the neighborhoods that they live in. It's improving um, the way that they view their community. And I, oh, man, this is really awesome. This is really great. And I think that that is something I wish everyone to feel um, and continue to feel. You know, it's not just for young people. It, you know, as you grow up and, and grow older and you have different resources uh, uh, and, and different um people and different communities, it really, I think, behooves everyone to figure out what ways can I give back. It does give you that that responsibility as a community member and getting you thinking more about other people and just yourself. And we we did, uh, in AmeriCorps and NCCC, we did projects with unmet human needs and public safety, education, environment. But I remember just building an ADA accessible trail to where it was a beautiful project to get. We were all kind of excited we get to build this trail. But then realizing at some point that I'd never really thought about how people who had difficulty seeing, how people uh, had difficulty with, you know, just simple things I took for granted, like I would run these trails and and not everybody could enjoy these trails the way I did. And now we were building something to allow them to do that as well. And and it starts to, you start to get to that place where you realize how big the world really is. And I love what you said there because it was just, just a trail. It was just a small little project. But I remember thinking, even if just one person can now get on this trail that couldn't before, this whole project was worth it. 
And I grew up kind of thinking, you know, the government programs, like we waste so much money. And, you know, again, a kind of a chip on my shoulder about how I felt like I didn't have as much support in some ways. And then realizing, wow, like, but there's some, there's a lot of good that comes out of these programs too, or can, if we have the right attitude about it. For sure. For sure. So, uh, Chad, next I would like to kind of delve into what got you to Reno, which I think you went uh, to visit me, and I had just given up my career, I guess you would say. I was a full-time permanent in the Forest Service, was a hotshot and worked uh, engine and truckie, and I was supposed to be, uh, I was an assistant engine captain. I was supposed to take over and become captain, and that would be my career. But I just, at 30 years old, I said, uh, well, I was 29, and I was turning 30 soon, and I said to myself, I've, I've, got, to, I've got to make a change. If I'm going to do it, i got to do it now. And, of course, you were part of that process for me to make that decision in the first place. But I just, uh, I just started to uh, become, uh, I, I think, who I am now at that point in some ways. I mean, obviously, AmeriCorps, I was – growing and learning and developing, but I took that leap at that point. First time I really did something that I think was super risky for me. And because, and I say that because I think a lot of people listening now, you might be going through this where, especially with the changes that we're in this new environment that we're in and the world is, is changing with this epidemic and uh, not knowing what's next. And for me, at 30 years old where I finally got a job where I couldn't retire and I'll have benefits and I don't really have to worry anymore. And then I chose to basically start all over again. Boy, that was dumb. That was, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, But I figured, yeah, if I'm going to do it, I got to do it now. And I didn't have kids at the time. I didn't have those kind of responsibilities. And I, I, um, my first man, my first six months were rough. Uh, and I remember for the first time in a long time, I had problems paying my bills and I ended up living out of the back of my truck. And I even remember driving to a gym that I was working at and I lost, um, well, I didn't have enough gas. So I had to push my, my truck into this cul-de-sac and then I ran from there to the gym. Now I didn't have a cell phone, couldn't afford that at the time. And I lost the client that I was supposed to meet because I was like 25 minutes late by that point. And, uh, I didn't have many clients. So that was really tough. And then, uh, I got a job at the Gerber baby factory, which I was, I was grateful for the job, but it was a low point for me. And that man, I was, uh, established. I, I had a good career going on, and now what am I doing? And I, here I am living out of the back of my truck, sleeping on the back of my truck, hoping that nobody was going to tow my truck. And I, I even went and knocked on the doors of the cult, people in the cold sack, and I just told them the truth and explained my situation and just asked them not to call a tow company. And one of the guys there said, hey, uh, this is, you know, it was in front of his house and he said, Hey, I'm not, I won't, I won't, uh, make any calls. You're, you're welcome to, to, to do that. And, uh, th- that was so nice. People do really come through. And, um, then anyways, I eventually got some traction and I think it's when I got to 12 clients that I really 
started to notice that uh, some changes in word of mouth, especially, and uh, I was able to get a place to live and and start that process. And then that those 12 clients went to over 70 and I was just working every day of the week, all day. I just, but at that point in my life, I was just so grateful to have clients. I did not care what I was like long-term. I'm not even thinking about that. It's just, man, I, I have, I'm not going to say no to anybody. So then it just came to, yeah, I'm going to work even all day on a Sunday. And you can do that for a certain amount of time, but I, I knew that I couldn't keep that pace up forever. And I needed to start getting like another assistant, a trainer. And that's when I had to start really thinking, cause I was an independent contractor, just paying percentage in a, in a gym that we, we won't talk about either, but, uh, <laughs> you came along about that time for a visit. And I told you, Hey, I've had this opportunity for the business. So you were gracious enough to actually move here to Reno and, and take over as my business manager. And again, I mean, I know that you did that for a lot of reasons you didn't have to, because it's not like at that time, uh, I was, I was, uh, you know, offering you a, a really good salary or anything like that. It was more, I think, uh, you were, being loyal and being a friend and, and taking that as an opportunity to, to help me out. So, uh, let's talk a little bit though, about, uh, the Pandola training experience and how that all really got started. Do you remember the first month that we were trying to open up and get started? I try to forget that month. Uh, <clears throat> um, no, that, I, I mean, it was pretty crazy. I was just, um, coming off of a gig uh, working in theater. I was in Colorado. I had come for a visit, visit just before that gig, went to the gig, left it, came back to Reno. And I was only supposed to paint murals in your new gym. Now, everything was so exciting. You know, um, it was just, you were just in this one little bay in this warehouse and a bunch of equipment stuffed in there and, and stupid like indoor, outdoor green carpeting just to put something over the, the concrete and then a tarp and then all this construction going on behind the, the tarp in the other bays. And by the way, just talk about people who kind of step forward and they, they want to help and you just don't accomplish things by yourself. I also had clients of mine at the time that gave me equipment from their own home gyms until my, my equipment came in because the guy that I was renting from or paying a percentage to as an independent contractor, as soon as he found out that I was going to open my own place, he locked me out, kicked me out. And he thought that was going to keep my clients from staying with me. And I uh, didn't, it, it didn't have the effect he wanted it to, but I was, I was so lucky to have the right clients to. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, you know, that's one of, the the great traits that you have is you inspire loyalty and and you always have um but yeah so you know there's this construction going on i came to uh visit went to colorado came back to uh paint some murals in this new gym and as i'm painting the murals um you know i'm looking around and here's matt working uh seven days a week you know, 10, 12, 14, 16 hours a day, 70 plus clients just banging his head against this wall trying to make this work. Uh, man, nobody's answering the phones and nobody's um, depositing checks. 
and nobody's paying the electricity bill, someone should do that, Matt. And so like, so I just put my paintbrush down and I started answering the phones and, and I remember making that first deposit. I must've carried, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 checks. It must've been like thousands of dollars of checks for that first deposit I made. And I was like, how can you not deposit these things? I was such a bad, I mean, this, hopefully people listening, I want to inspire you because if I can do it, <laughs> literally anybody can, because I was so bad at it. Look, and- I, you know, there is no reason I should have been running that business. I had no more experience than you. I was a, I was an actor and a painter and, but I looked at what was going on and I thought, well, somebody's got to do it. So I might as well start doing it. Uh, and, you know, just the hours that the two of us would put in after all the work got done to stay and say, okay, well, you know, this has to get painted and this has to get fixed and let's move this equipment around over here. And, um, you know, you got to run off and work on this program uh, for another, you know, two hours and it's already midnight. Um, and then we would get up. God, I was I remember I was living with you at the time. And we would get up at four something in the morning and you would make a pot of coffee, two pots of coffee. One pot would go into your, you had this big Shrek mug, <laughs> this, this green Shrek mug that you would pour an entire pot of coffee into. And then you, and then you made another pot of coffee and I would have a little bit of that. And that coffee was so strong. Like my stomach burned every time. Uh, but then, yeah, we did that. We did that over and over and over for, for months yeah, and just to uh, transparency, right? So we talk about this a lot. Was was I healthy at the time? No. I was in the health and fitness business, and my job was to get people healthy. And I myself was just absolutely wrecking myself. But I will say that I wouldn't change it. It's I I wish that I could say I've always made all the right choices and I've I've been able to do everything with sound uh, health and mind and body. But I think this is just a big, a big point to bring up because I feel so old now, but if you're in the younger generation listening, I have had the hardest time finding trainers that are willing to put their time in anymore and really learn the business and really learn people and really learn how to coach. They just want to take their certs. I mean, I sound so old now and like crotchety, but <laughs> it's true, right? That you get your cert and you put in some uh, time maybe learning, but then you just think it's going to come. And, and yeah, I, you know, I put in the work, so where are all the clients or where's all the – and then I try to tell them, look, I, I it took me years, and I had to really push through some uncomfortable barriers and make some – decisions that were, you know, certainly only things I could do short term, like having that big Shrek of coffee, just get through the day. I'm not, I'm not bragging. I'm not proud of that saying, well, that's what everybody should do to be a good business owner. No. And I probably, I certainly could have done things smarter, but it is a part of the process that I don't regret. And I think that when you put in that kind of effort, you're really, your skin's in the game and you're really buying into what 
it is that you're doing. And then that's where you dig in even deeper because you don't want it to be for nothing. And then I started dreaming about the time when I could actually maybe sleep in and not have uh, clients coming in at five in the morning, even though I was training clients until nine at night. But that's what had to be done, and that's what I did. And I feel like that's almost becoming a lost art these days. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like every generation says the that's next true. generation is terrible, awful. These kids will never learn. But I think it's I think it's more individual. I think that that there are certain individuals um, at any given time in any given industry pursuing any given career that are willing to do the things not not only are willing to do the things so this is what i've said always about you i've never met anyone uh that works harder or is better suited or has more passion for the thing that they are doing and oftentimes you'll have one or two of those things but not all of them uh that's the real special business person that's the real special genius that's the real special artist whatever it is you want to whatever that person becomes but there really is a stars in alignment sort of feeling about certain individuals i don't think it's generational um i just think that that every once in a while at the right time the right person comes along with the right drive and skills and mindset and ability to not only work through the hard times, but also to react to the hard times and learn from them and say, okay, how do I, when I wake up tomorrow, how do I do this better? You know? That's a good point. And I think I am getting a little crotchety. <laughs> you know, it's it's true. Uh, you know, and uh, as you know, I've, I've had many trainers uh, come through my doors and intern and then work for me and uh, I guess you, it's common to see the world the way you see yourself, and I think that that's, that's where I myself get uh, frustrated because I just assume that people are – they're just grateful for the work they're getting and the clientele they have and not really uh, you know, comparing them to me. Uh, that's, that's my lesson here is I, I think I need to, uh, to realize that, that yeah, people have – different um, feelings about success and what that really means. But for me, this is my baby. So I think that that's where, uh, just for people listening out there, when you're going to share your passion, the advice I would give here is make sure that it's with people that have, you know, they're proven. They're proven in sharing that passion as well. And just before this podcast started, we were talking about our business plan for my Run Stronger and that's going to be our YouTube and also my company with Bobby for uh, middle distance project for for uh, elite athletes. And I want you involved with that to an extent because, again, we're cut from the same cloth and we see things very similarly. And and that's where I've made that decision that I'm just I'm bringing in people around me in my circle for the business that see the world the same way and have those same ideals. Well, uh, it, yeah, I think um, on this point, early on, early-ish on, um, a couple of years into Pendola training, you know, we had grown significantly. Um, we had a number of trainers, independent contractors that were in, uh, and 
and we had massage therapists and we had classes and we had martial arts and um, you know I was working as a nutrition coach as well as the general manager and we had a lot going on and I remember um, you know talking about what it is the the business could become were we talking about um, you know making this thing a gold gym or what and uh, I remember trying for for years and years and years um, you trying to teach these trainers up to like I forget how many we had it 10 or 15 14, 14. I think was our yeah. peak yeah these trainers how to be you teaching these trainers how to have um, your vision teaching these trainers how to have your ability to read not only the human body but also the human being uh, and and teaching these trainers how to have the desire to be as good as you at what you do and failing miserably every single time every time every time yeah and that makes it sound like i i do not see myself on a pedestal i really don't but i think that there are times where i come across as very confident or even maybe um, a narcissist, possibly, to some people. And really, my wife says it best is before she knew me the way she does now, she interpreted things a little differently, too. And I think it's because when you're really passionate about something, you're unforgiving about how you feel about it. And I don't think that I had a lot of forgiveness in my mind when trainers didn't want to serve their clients in the way that I felt like was best, which I believe in over delivering period mm -hmm. stand a story. And so that made it very difficult. And I think that this is another lesson that we are bringing up here organically, but knowing who you are and knowing whether or not you can replicate yourself. So now the better process for me is through my app, through eBooks, through lectures and then through a select uh, amount of people like Bobby McGee, who's, of course, I, I consider him to be a light year ahead of me as a coach, but I'll get there one day. And then, of course, just looking at people like Elena Marshager, who is in earlier with us today, uh, just a wonderful, wonderful person. And, and she also uh, is a great athlete, happens to be a great runner, but she is so passionate about this story and about what she went through as an athlete here at Pendola. And we talked briefly about what she learned. And that was more in the beginning for her to let go of all the mileage and thinking that was so important and start to just really work on her foundation more and build back up. But in other words, to let go of the influencers and to really um, get the education and to learn from that. And the reason why she's here today talking to us was because she is now going to be doing a lot of our social media for Run Stronger. And so that's something that I'm really excited about because, again, here's somebody who gets it very passionate about this, and she's in our inner circle because we have the same types of vision for success for others for serving others and for getting this out because she really wants her friends to know this is 
this this process is really helpful and this process is what worked for me but what i love about that is just we i've eventually found a way to replicate and to expand the brand but it had to be uh, a different way than i think most have traveled and, and i had to learn that the hard way yeah that's for sure uh y- you know, I think that you really stuck to to the other road for a long time. Uh, what eight, nine years almost? Yeah, yeah, that's about right. And quite honestly, I was telling you again beforehand, and, and Elena too, that um, my first almost really ten years in the business. I just put everything back into the business, really, no matter how much I was making. And I always felt like that was the best way to uh, to be able to grow the business. But it was really not it was not as productive as I wanted it to be. I made a lot of bad decisions myself. And it really wasn't until about year 10 that I was starting to really get established. And that was because of word of mouth at that point was getting um, strong enough for me where I didn't feel like it mattered where I was or, you know, if I had a nice kind of a, a, a shiny box, like we had more in the beginning, we had a really nice facility. And then not that this facility we're in now isn't nice, but it's certainly a fraction of the size. And it's just more about education. When I have athletes come in here for the first time, they almost always comment on, the uh the what's on the walls which is all about education and it's not the bells and whistles and our equipment is it's it's nice equipment but it's the basics and another thing i was going to talk about is uh, the dunning kruger effect and this is another i think lesson learned here in the dunning kruger effect if you're not familiar with that it's a little bit more about thinking you know in the beginning of your career more than you actually do about something or it can be you know in your sport or whatever and then over time you start to meet different people influencers uh, or educators i say better in your life and you realize what you don't know so for me that's when i started to meet uh physical therapists like john hodges and uh, Dr. Naomi Albertson, who's going to be on the podcast here soon and having uh, various educational benefits from Athletes Performance Institute, Mark Verstegen and Mike Boyle and just all of these programs where I really started to understand what I didn't know. And then just going through that process, eventually starting to climb back up in that scale, but this time it being more accurate of what I actually know. So you have to know what you don't know first, and then you can start building from there. And that's a whole process in itself. I don't think you can really uh, cut that out. So I don't regret those first 10 years. I just, I feel like smarter people or or people who are a little bit uh wittier or sharper than me might have figured that out in you know two or three years took me 10 years but uh (laughs) but but i eventually i eventually figured it out and uh and then even now i think i say i don't know or i'm not sure more than i ever did 10 years ago which tells me something right there i think yeah right yeah yeah for sure i think that uh, for myself too, as I have gained experience uh, in the theater industry, um, 
I think I probably answer questions that way as well. And that is, that is because of that exact thing. Like you, you, I don't think you can grow until you realize that you don't know a lot. If I'm saying that right, but, but going, okay, wait a second. I'm not going to just throw out the first thing that pops into my head to, to make it sound to either make it sound like, I know what I'm talking about or even believe that that's what I know what I'm talking about. I'm much happier going, I don't know yet. Let me give me a hot minute to sit down and and deliberate about this idea. Let me do a little research. Let me figure out how many nooks and crannies of this uh, problem I can, you know, weave into and go, oh, wait a second. This is an avenue that I didn't. Um, I didn't think about it first, or this is a solution that might be on the list, but let's keep it on a list. It's not the only one, and it, it may not even be the best one. Let's figure out, uh, you know, five or six different things, even if that first solution is the one you end up coming back to. Yeah, that's beautifully said. And it just it makes me realize, too, some of my frustrations in the past with with trainers or, or uh, people who had come in to intern. And I think what happens a lot of times is they want a quick answer. They, they want to be able to say, oh, so when this happens, your T-band hurts. And so when your T-band hurts, just roll it out and make sure you do some glute meat exercises or something and you'll be fine. And so that's the answer, right? And then, you know, it's it's more complicated than that. And also, uh, you don't roll out your T-band if you expect a long-term effect. So the point that I try to make is, well, yes, but no, right? Or it depends. <laughs> and then I think that that's what makes it so much harder and confusing and maybe even at times making them think, well, then he doesn't really know. But really, uh, 10 years or 15 years ago, or when I first started, it was, I gave more absolute answers. Yeah, this is it. I probably came across as smarter, even <laughs> though I was actually had false confidence about it. Yeah. It wasn't intentional to give false information, but it was now I'm just, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, we'll have to see. And we were talking about that with Elena earlier today, where when she first met me and started coming in and I did her evaluation and I said, okay, this is just giving us some starting points. And it's a set point, but we don't really have all the answers here until we start to uncover more. And it'll take weeks or months, but we'll get there. And that's that's not sexy, but that is where you really evolve. And that doesn't matter to me what type of business you're in or what type of goals you have. I think the main thing is instead of going after that quick fix, that magic pill, you know, and I, that's where none of my athletes are on uh, diets by my hand. You know, I don't write anything out that is even close to a diet. And yet most people are looking for, well, what's, uh, what's the next new diet that's going to work? And it's a roller coaster ride, of course. And that's where I think it's relatable to how the business has evolved because in the beginning, it was simpler, right? It was more of that effect of, okay, we're going to do uh, these workouts, you're going to eat th this way, and you're going to get these results. And the truth of it is, I had to be honest with myself over time, there were 
a percentage of people that I could brag on. And they were certainly testimonials to, to the system working. But truthfully, there were more people who were still struggling, even though uh, they were in the program, right? So I had to start really looking at that and understanding that it wasn't as simple as just ABC. So uh, when you were managing the gym, you would see people come in and out all day. Of course, you'd meet them and greet them and you'd talk to them. And that was an important part of our culture always has been. But you saw that. You saw people that were really getting great results. But there are also a lot of those people that were, I think, hoping by almost like writing that check that they were going to get the outcome, right? And I just got to show up. Sure. I think... I think, though, um, some of that sometimes can be attributed to the type of person that client is, you know. Um, You have, uh, as you become more successful, been able to – been able to look at your clients a little bit deeper and understand this client isn't a great fit for Pendola training. This client is a great fit. And, and a lot of times that, uh, I think, and I may be putting words in your mouth, but a lot of times that comes down to if you meet somebody and you can tell they just want a quick answer, they're, they're not going to last here. Even if you do take them on, they're just not going to last. And so if you find that client who not only needs the help, uh, but also is willing to wait for the help, is willing to be patient and say, you know, nothing, nothing in life is quick, you know, and if it is, it's probably wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and over time, again, I think this applies to people in, in many different ways and, and different paths, but over time, there was that supply, supply and demand effect. So, uh, first of all, the referrals that I got when I started to really specialize more with athletes, those referrals came from people who are like-minded. So that helped a lot. I rarely get a referral that didn't fit well, but then also I can't always take on a client right when they want to train. So by the time I can get them in, I think that they're pretty driven to use that time wisely, which, which also helps, but that takes a long time to get to that process too, because uh, another thing I would like to point out when, when it comes, again, I'm crotchety. Okay. We just already established this. <laughs> I'm a crotchety man when it comes to the way I think and the way I see things, but you got to put your time in. And th- th- at the beginning, I, I took just everybody. Like I mentioned before, I had, I had uh, over 70 clients and I didn't say no, I just took everybody. And, but I also needed to, so I could save the money, start a business, then eventually pay off the, the equipment and, and all of the bills that I had. And so that's why we did all these different things. Right. And we were just thinking, figuring out all these different ways for the gym to make money. Now, I don't want to make it sound superficial in the sense where I, I really think we did a good job at serving everybody and finding the right people to serve those people. If it was martial arts or whatnot, or at least trying to do that. In fact, one thing that you know we did, we had twice a week, we had classes training the trainers. We did that twice a week, every week. 
and that was just extra time in my schedule in their schedule it was it was something that i'm very proud that we did so we did our due diligence to make sure that the trainers were uh, putting their clients through the right programming and that sort of thing it's just so it's not that when it was happening i think that we did a pretty good job with that but i just felt like uh, it was just it was a lot of work for a little bit of return if i'm being honest and again, that's, that was a part of the process and necessary. Somebody had asked me more recently if I could do it all again, what would I do differently? And certainly I wouldn't have had all the same overhead. I wouldn't have tried to have a gym with that, all that equipment too that I got. Some of that equipment that I got was quite honestly because I didn't know enough myself yet to realize that, that the best training I could do had nothing to do with equipment and I didn't need to rely on that kind of equipment. In fact, that equipment was getting in the way of results for my clients. So I, you know, I got rid of the hamstring curl machine. I got rid, I donated a lot of equipment to the boys and girls club. There is, there are some demographics that is actually good to have that type of equipment. But when I am training my athletes, I have very little need for that. And it's taking up a lot of my space. And that was the other side to it is, Yes, we were we were trying to take on everybody and serve everybody the best we could because we also had a lot of overhead. But also when I started to specialize more and realize at that point what I wanted to do as a coach, then I realized that I could really start to uh, streamline everything and niche it down and niche it down and niche it down until we are we're at today and I, I absolutely love what I do. So I wouldn't change any of that, but it, it took me a while to figure that out. And quite honestly, you, Chad, you were, um, part of that transition because when you left the gym, I was forced to make some decisions. I no longer had that crutch. You were always kind of saving me, especially on the business side of things where you would make these decisions as my manager that helped me keep everything afloat. But then when you were gone, I started sinking real quick and I had to basically figure out at that point, okay, what do, what do I need to do? Because I can't, I can't survive this way. Well, and that it was, um, fortunate and unfortunate timing because it was right before the housing crash. It was right before the recession of 0708. Um, I had given you my five-year handshake when I first walked in and, uh, declined partnership in the business. Uh, I was so mad at you. <laughs> uh, and then, w but at that point when I left, we had our original facility, which was over 8,000 square feet at that point. We had expanded three times, I think three times in that same warehouse. We had the satellite at Collin Club, a private uh, club. And then we were in talks to build a brand new 10... 10,000 plus square foot facility and um, you know just all happened to coincide and I was like well I'm done so I'll see you later and uh, you know tried as best I could to train up some other people to, to take on some of those responsibilities but honestly uh, I mean the timing couldn't have been better when the economy contracted your business had to contract and had contracted just prior to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I found myself having to ask myself that question. Do I really want this? Because if I, 
if I had any doubt in that, that was the time to get out. And, uh, you know, and quite honestly, I'll, I'll be transparent to say I felt really betrayed by a lot of the trainers who went on to just go to other gyms where they offered the, okay, $400 a month, whatever it is, train as many people as you want. Cause they were desperate for business too. And I, I was off at athletes performance Institute trying to educate myself the best I could and spending a lot of money doing it by the way. And so I could bring that information back to everybody. And while I'm gone, three of my t- trainers take off with their clients and, uh, I and I even heard about, you know, stories about what these clients were told, why they were leaving, which was absolute fabrication. But, you know, those trainers uh, went on to make the immediate deal. They got the again. It, does this sound familiar? Right. Immediate satisfaction. And all those uh, trainers, they're out of business today. Uh, I knew myself, though, that. I had a choice to make at that time. And things, things do work out for a reason because I realized without that happening, I probably would have just kind of buried my head down and kept digging in and kept working the system. And instead I was forced to make changes to my business plan and, uh, and to the way I saw the business. And that's a good thing. If so, I actually have, instead of being bitter about that, I have to, I was bitter back then but now i'm like geez i actually some of these trainers once in a while i'll see them around town or something and i'm actually thankful because um if they if if they had been more loyal i might have been stuck in a business that honestly i didn't love because even in the best of times i was now babysitting the trainers or i was training the trainers but it's not it's not what i love to do right right you know and i think that that really went to show too what was the important part of Pandola training. It was Matt Pandola. That business could shrink down to one person and it would be as good a business as with a better better business than having all those other people in all that other space, you know. Yeah, and I'll finish with this, but I believe that when you're trying to make something work and if you're considering trying to make a business work for the first time, even during COVID, if, if you're really good at what you do, there's a demand for you. You may, it may take a while for people to realize that you're there, or it may take a while to build that word of mouth. But all I have ever done But what I doubled down on, especially when my business kind of like fell, you know, collapsed during that time. And we did. We lost more than half our clients, it seemed like, overnight. I just decided that I was going to focus on the clients that I do have. And I'm going to focus on giving them just the best version of me I can. And I was going to, if somebody had an ACL injury, I was going to learn everything I could about uh, the ACL and about rehab. And so I started uh, to use the time I had because I didn't have as many clients for a while and I had to start over again and, and I didn't have the, the same facility anymore. I spent that time with John Hodges learning from him. I spent that time reading and researching. I went uh, to school. I went to LMT school at night for four years. I did I did uh, a, a little bit of a rebirth, if you will, and 
then I was I was like on fire. I was You're a Phoenix baby. I'm a Phoenix. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come from the ashes. Um, and then, of course, I would say that with my daughter Mia, when she was coming, and we knew she was coming, um, we we had started to turn the page pretty well at that point, but we weren't there yet. And geez, that was only nine years ago, ten years ago, and it's amazing to me what the last ten years have done. But she was the driving force for me to actually like just I got to make this work. And uh, before I even knew her name yet, I, that was that was became my driving force. And I think I'll finish with that is just that, you know, coming up with these long term goals, these these macro goals, it can be good to have that four year plan or, you know, but I I I think that more often than not, it's about the micro goals is about focusing on what can you do today to get better what can you focus on today? Because that's how I rebuilt my clientele. That's how I started this facility. And then eventually got the opportunity to work with Bobby McGee because I had focused on a particular athlete to help that athlete as much as I could. That athlete ended up telling Bobby McGee about me because he made his team. And then Bobby calls me one day. That's just an example about how now I was able to work with and the type of coach and the type of athletes that I dreamt about being able to work with. Um, and at the same time, being very grateful for the athletes that I still work with today here that I've learned so many of my lessons from that I can now use for future athletes or for the athletes that I get to work with, like, for example, in this, this camp. So I think that uh, your goals, your your daily goals are all about just what what you can do to fail forward and to uh, focus on the things you're doing well, but I'm still improving upon each day. How do I get 1% better, at least one thing? But then also realizing that goals change. And, and when I realized I was going to be a dad, that changed a lot of goals for me, a lot of things, but in the best ways humanly possible. So you know, that's, uh, everybody has a different process to their success. Everybody has a different plan. And of course I would never have guessed 20 years ago that I would be here today doing a podcast, talking about these things. And, and I'd never saw myself in this position. I would never have predicted it, but yet it's the best life I, I could ask for. And I, and I look forward to the, to what's happening next. So, you know, that's where I think you don't need to have like, I think people get intimidated with these long-term overwhelming ideals and goals and thinking that it's not even worth getting started. Whereas really you just, it's as cliche as it sounds, you take that step, you take that next step, you take that next step. Then you get pushed down the stairs and you're 10 <laughs> steps behind and you get back up and you take that step and you take that next step. And before you know it, you know, eventually you look, you look and there's no, there's, there's nothing that you have to doubt yourself about because you know, you can keep climbing. So yeah, I might get knocked down again. COVID comes along. You, you, you have certain, like we have certain things because of this new environment that have really affected us. It's not all just, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's all 
still difficult in in the same ways that uh, it, it I'm sure a lot of people listening have gone through. So it's it's not just um, it's it's not just uh, what you know that that environment where you think that you just get to a certain spot and then it's just all easy. It's not all easy, but I know that I can get pushed down, get back up again. And I know I have that ability. And I think that that's, that's something I can always rely on, but look at now looking at the steps that I've taken, you know, I'm getting closer and closer to the top of my mountain. And when I get there, I'm probably going to look around for a second and then find another peak. Yeah, well, you know, there's that old adage, be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it, you know, and then what do you do? What do you do? You look for that next peak, you know? I think it's great. Um, we, You have always talked about uh, it's important for clients to have goals uh, to work towards, and, and I think that's important for everybody, you know, having um, not necessarily an overarching life goal, but, you know, setting that goal, that peak. I want to get to that peak over there, and, and then going, okay, looking at the mountain and saying, okay, these are the steps that I can see that I need to take and, and then being able to change direction and get to that top when it seems like it's appropriate to change direction. Chad, sweet. It's been, uh, it's been sweet talking to you today. I've had an awful time. I can't believe I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> so we said this on Monday as well. And guys, if you want to learn more about uh, Chad, definitely listen to the Monday podcast. But uh, Chad, if people want to find you, if they want to learn more about Reno Little Theater, where can they find you, buddy? Reno Little Theater, that's where I work. Uh, that's at renolittletheater.org, and that's theater with an E-R. Uh, and, you know, we aren't obviously producing any shows right now, but we got some online stuff that's happening. Um, and, you know, it's pretty fun. It's not theater per se, but it's a good time, and, and hopefully it'll keep you entertained for a few minutes. But once the theater gets open, once we can get back in that box together, um, it'll be great to to communally experience theater again. Yeah, man. So, guys, thanks for listening. Again, if you like the show, then like the show. Give us some stars. Give us some reviews. Uh, I will say, if you want to help out the show, write us a review because uh, I get a lot of direct messages, uh, and, and I seriously do. I And I always ask people, well, whether to email me or texting me or my wife or uh, even just other athletes that we know that talk about the show. It's, there's been a lot of great feedback. And I say, hey, will you write a review? Oh, yeah, of course. And then it just we never get that. Uh, it's, it's been kind of crazy to me that we uh, haven't built up more reviews because I know that just looking at the numbers, we have more and more listeners all the time. So thank you for sharing the show. But yeah, please write reviews. Please give us those stars because that is what uh, allows us to kind of uh, get more recognized and that in turn will help more people. So definitely share us and write a review about us. If you haven't already, please do that today. You know, I don't ask that all the time, but I am asking you to do that today. All right. Thanks so much, guys. We will talk to you next week.